Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to the Startup Kitchen Talk. But today is more like uh, Startup Kuchengesprach, where we discuss baking, boiling, grilling, and kochen of startup life. You know, apprentices becoming master chefs. My today guest is a self-learned coder, ex-student entrepreneur, successful investor, someone always dissatisfied with status quo, and pianist, founder of 3VC, startup master Koch himself, Peter Lassinger. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Welcome, everybody. Uh, how long are you staying in Prague for? Just two days. So Just I'm leaving tomorrow evening again. And, yeah. and what's your what's your favorite places here? Oh, there's a lot of favorite places. Uh, I really like this the central town. Uh, I like the Rachin. Uh, I really like like walking the the old town. And I okay. have been there first in my like uh, school times. So like that was in the '90s. So I've seen how the city kind of grew and uh, really, yeah, also in the startup life became very differently from my, my first memories I have in, in Prague. Yeah. And uh, how, do we, how, does, how does your day in Prague look like? Uh, that really depends. So I think now it's a little bit unusual because I'm also here for like board meetings, so more formal yeah. parts. But usually it's about meeting a lot of people. So like... Uh, investors, entrepreneurs, really spending time with the people that want to kind of change something and, and getting to know each other, exchanging ideas. And uh, yeah, that's and, and then it's usually pretty packed. Um, uh, so usually, I don't know, half to one hour meetings, uh, uh, five, six, seven days. And now it's day. like super packed because your flight was delayed. Yeah, Isn't that was that nice? unfortunate. Yeah. So I had to cancel my first meeting to be on time <laughs> for the podcast. And who's to blame? Who's to blame? The airline? The airport? The airline. No, that's clearly on the airline. Uh, <laughs> I, I won't name names, I, but... Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, they might need investment soon, though. Uh, uh, so when we... Let's dive right in. When Austrian, German and Czech venture capital investor walk into a bar, is there something that you think that they will definitely disagree on? Um, I think on the language to be spoken. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so sh should it be German, English, or, or Czech? So, <laughs> uh, I think that would be the first uh, discussion. Um, and and then, I think there's a lot of similarities actually. Uh, uh, maybe more so between like uh, Austria and a uh, mm. uh, Czech uh, uh, than. Germany and Czech from just the the visibility the ecosystem has internationally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's uh, I would say one difference. Yeah. Oh, but but in the one. end, all all yeah. all would enjoy some beer. I would say so. That's I think a commonality. I have a beer <laughs> question prepared for later. Okay. How did you know? Well, we will tackle the diversity uh, thing later. So there might be some more uh, differences later. Uh, but in more general general perspective, uh, can you compare the region to Czech region when we when it comes to startup ecosystem yeah, as said I think there is a difference between uh, I would say Germany which is pretty advanced in the last years uh, um, and um, Austria and Czech Republic really picking up mm -hmm. uh, I would say a lot uh, in the last years maybe not uh, on par with like certain parts of Germany which is still not uh, uh, where like UK and other ecosystems are um, I think it's slowly changing and you see that that just the amount of startups, uh, funds, uh, investors has increased dramatically. Uh, and you also see it how I would say the scene uh, gets more professional um, with uh, things starting to look more like, um, um, I would say, common as you're used to in, in the US, for instance, and, mm -hmm. and less very specific structures, uh, deals that, uh, I mean, are usually there when an ecosystem is not as advanced. Yeah, yeah what are the signs? What are the signs? Oh, so this ecosystem is becoming more advanced. I think it's more founders getting early funding for experimenting. Uh, so I think that's a very early sign that you see there is business angel former successful founders mm -hmm. uh, that would reinvest in the ecosystem. And usually you have these lighthouse founders um, um, uh, like in, 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 in the Nordics, it was Skype and in the UK that really kicked off mm -hmm. that ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, you have these uh, 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 successful founders also in Austria and in the Czech Republic that kind of reinvest money, uh, 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 like Jan Reza, mm -hmm. but a couple of others too. Yeah. 
Um, and that kicks off that kind of role models uh, you want to kind of uh, uh, look for and, uh, um, um, and, and basically repeat the successes and also knowing that you can basically make a living as an entrepreneur and it's not a kind of stupid idea uh, uh, because I think many people f think still that the kind of corporate career is, is the better one uh, and, and both has its ups and downs, so to say. Yeah. And the next thing is I would say then establishment sharing of more like formal sources of fundings uh, like equity fundings, venture funds, uh, funds uh, like early stage, later stage funds, banks actually providing a kind of uh, loans or whatever. So you mm -hmm. can really see then I would say ecosystem shared co-working spaces. So there's a lot of things uh, you can kind of measure the, um, the progress or the kind of uh, readiness of an ecosystem. I would say also on the new university side, a kind mm -hmm. of amount of spin-outs created about how they deal with, uh, I would say, um, supporting uh, and encouraging uh, students to found uh, their own companies. Uh, I think that's all kind of playing a little bit together. And that's what I think in the essence was really what helped like a Silicon Valley uh, uh, to kind of become what it has become, this kind of intersection of role models, funding, tight alignment of universities, funds um, uh, uh, and, and university and uh, uh, um, uh, funds and, and entrepreneurs. Um, and yeah, you see that uh, in, in Europe too. So it's, it's more, I would say, not as much concentrated, but you have like certain centers um, uh, around. So it's multiple areas where a lot is going on. And in Czech Republic, definitely Prague and, and Brno, uh, where a lot is happening. Yeah. And if you compare it, well, we don't have to go as far as to, you know, Israel or Silicon Valley. But if you compare it, for example, when you said that the Germany is more advanced and we are growing and we're uh, speeding in Prague and in Vienna and, uh, you know, uh, in, in other cities, what are the where, where, what are the sectors that we're still lacking behind Germany or other Western countries in your perspective? You mean Germany versus like Czech Republic, Austria, yeah, yeah, or yeah, Germany yeah, yeah. and well, Europe well, per se? You or, mentioned that the Germany yeah. is still more advanced, right? No, I think so. that has to do because it gets more attention internationally okay. because it's just a bigger market, a uh, bigger homogeneous market. So they just have the advantage of 80 million inhabitants and being a very kind of strong economy per se. Like I think it's fourth or fifth strongest economy. Mm -hmm. So a lot of international investors double down on, on Germany, while other countries, they feel too small to really kind of engage properly. And I think that's a disadvantage of the smaller companies, mm -hmm. uh, smaller countries, and, and I would say um, also um, uh, language um, uh, uh, areas. Uh, yeah, but there's still uh, you have the uh, small... Uh country name Estonia, yeah. you know, yeah, and, and the they're outliers. League. I think that's the, the beauty uh, mm -hmm. uh, you see, you can also do differently. Uh, and I think the Nordics and Estonia yes. is a good example. Uh, but there's also a history why that happened. So Estonia clearly Skype, uh, uh, Nordics and a lot of international funds uh, that basically created what, what it was. But it shows you, you don't have to be a big country uh, or a big, I would say, ecosystem to kind of create some amazing uh, uh, companies. Uh, so uh, I think that's a positive signal. So it doesn't really matter where you are so much anymore, which is, I think, changed in the last 10 years. So 10 years ago, I would say a lot of people moved to London or, or the US mm -hmm. to build the companies because just the ecosystem, the access to capital, uh, the ways how to kind of make business, uh, do yeah, alliances well, is just better because the main companies doing business with uh, uh, still would be uh, in the US a little bit depending on your business model, of course. Uh, and, and that I would say has changed a little bit. Although I still see like in B2B, it's often the US companies are much more, I would say, open to work with startup products mm -hmm. and maybe the continental uh, European uh, um, uh, companies and they are a little bit more reluctant. Huh? Staying on the continental topics, there's this uh, divisive thing. Um, what is your take on the European investment fund money? Because some VCs are like, yeah, it's just, you know, destroying the market. It's not a free market, this in kind of incentives. But then there are, you know, other VCs saying that it's necessary for the um, healthy European development. So what I is your take? I think it's necessary because um, there's just a lack of other uh, means of funding. 
Um, so I think without the European Investment Fund, uh, there would be kind of no real uh, institutional venture capital scene. Uh, because, I mean, they're the largest LP by far and, and a lot of funds uh, here in Europe. Uh, um, and, I mean, that's a structural problem, I would say, because uh, the other traditional sources like endowment funds from university don't, don't exist in continental Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, there are no university endowment funds. Pension funds don't really invest yet. Uh, um, I mean, there's a couple of ex uh, exceptions, like in the Nordics, uh, uh, which do actually uh, invest also kind of in, in that kind of cap uh, category. So um, I think as long as the structure or supply of money or, or money flowing into, I would say, technology companies is not changing, um, that's needed. And I think that's even a step later, it's even worse, like when it goes to like public markets. Uh, so a lot of the companies then would actually list in the US because uh, there is like no real public demand or mm -hmm. not in a kind of way uh, uh, in Europe than um, it would be, for instance, in the US. Yeah. And, and that's, of course, playing together because um, the early investors need some liquidity and where do they get it from? Uh, usually by going public or, or selling the companies, which I think is not the preferred choice per se, because then basically you're giving up the company uh, to an extent. Um, so I think that has to do with that. Uh, so I think as long as the structural situation is not changing, um, uh, that is needed. Uh, but I would say there would be enough capital uh, available. It's more about the allocation um, uh, uh, that I think uh, is differently than I would say the kind of appetite uh, you would see in the US, Israel, or even China, which is also distorted because of the very strong government. But you see uh, these countries like uh, United States or Israel using this kind of incentives in the past. They might not uh, need them as strong now. Do you think that this structural change um, might end with uh, Europe not needing the European investment fund money in future? Not in the new future. Not in the new future. I mean, future. these are things we talk about, yeah. I would say, 10 years yeah. plus. Uh, uh, and when you look at fund times, it's uh, like a fund cycle is about 10, 15 years. So I, I think it takes one or two fund cycles to really change an ecosystem because just when you invest, it would take that amount of time to kind of recoup the investments and hopefully in a multiple, which then would provide kind of liquidity into the ecosystem, kind of creating this wheel that you want to kind of create uh, out of that. So, but that's something that's going to take 15, 20 years uh, to change. Yeah. Uh, three VCs focus is Duck Region and CEE. Yes. So why didn't you like, you know, Pet Shop Boys lyrics uh, go west? Because there's a lot of people already going mm -hmm. west. And I mean, it's a really a bad idea to kind of be there where everybody is. I mean, that's um, especially true, I would say, in venture. Um, you want to be where there is opportunity um, uh, um, and uh, not so much, I would say, hype or um, um, uh, fear of missing out. Um, so, and, and that's really, I mean, it has to do, I think, with also our past and our, I would say um, the kind of cultural um, um, education that we have as kind of Central European and Vienna used always to be kind of a, a important hub and still is in the academic uh, way uh, to some extent. So far as it was clear to kind of leverage the relationships we have, um, the geographical location we have, and really help founders here in the region to kind of accelerate uh, to the same extent as others would do at, I would say, more visible places. And that's also a reason why we have a kind of a, a co-investment syndication approach mm -hmm. where we really try to bring in some international investors together with us to kind of create that exposures and also help founders basically not only to solve their, I would say, immediate next funding gap, but to kind of extend that for the next round for uh, even, uh, I would say, uh, towards an IPO. So there is a funding round is not the end of it. It's just a, a milestone in a long journey. And, and we wanted to make sure to kind of connect to these systems and institutions that have basically this journey laid out uh, because of their 50 years history. So uh, most of the US funds are like 50 years uh, uh, into existence. Um, um, there's very little European funds 
that I would say are even over ten years old. Um, uh, so that's just a different a, a different kind of experience, uh, different kind of grown networks. Um, and as long as we don't have established that uh, here, it's good to tap into. I would say the resources and networks that have been built over these like fifty years. Yeah. Plus, as you mentioned, you liked coming to Prague, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> uh, I've read uh, the sifted article about your 150 million Series A fund. Congrats on that, by the way. Uh, but on your website and on the Crunchbase, there are seed rounds mentioned as well. So, uh, how is it? Three VC, seed or no seed? I think that's also a historic development. So we used to also invest earlier uh, in seed, but only in in very small, uh, I would say, um, amounts, uh, basically to kind of help out founders um, and then basically preparing for the the Series A rounds. But we stopped that because uh, we saw that we create a kind of conflict of interest with local seed funds that Mm -hmm. would perceive us as a competition, which we never intended to be. Uh, so we are not doing that anymore, um, uh, uh, but we we basically really keep to our stage where we think we can deliver the most uh, uh, impact also through our networks and own experiences and really uh, let, um, I would say, investors help where they can most. And I, I strongly believe like in the early phases, it's really good to have your investor very close by. So I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of local seed funds. Uh, I have been running myself for building up a, a seed fund in Austria, a local one. It really makes a difference. Um, and you often, if you're not a serial entrepreneur, which there are not so many around, I mean, it's in- increasing, uh, you, you want to have that I would say day-to-day ability to exchange uh, with your investors, um, uh, and and I think you cannot do that if you want to do that out of London or out okay. of the US. Uh, so that has been, I think, the main reason, and it's also about focus. So I think uh, you just need to focus because um, you back companies that are kind of in a similar stage, and often in a similar stage, even if they do very different things, their kind of pain points and requirements differ a lot. So if you have five. 10 people company uh, creating the product and finding market fit. It's a very different kind of challenge that you have then when you want to scale a company from 50 to 200, 300 people and really kind of build international sales um, uh, expansion. Um, And uh, we thought that we can deliver more value in in that kind of series A stage, which also tended to be the, the, the phase where international investors started to invest. I mean, that's also changing because a lot of these funds are going earlier, but I think um, that has to still to be proven if that's, uh, I would say, a good mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. Uh, well, there is a lot of prominent European VCs now choosing to downside, uh, downsize their next fund because of various reasons. The crisis um, might be one of them, or probably is, and the lack of investment opportunities as well. Is that something that you are planning on uh, doing as well, or uh, I think internationally. No, I think it's it's really about being able to execute. I would say your strategy, and our strategy has been uh, uh, like focus, uh, uh, quality over quantity. Uh, so it's unusual for a Series A fund to uh, like uh, only partner with three, four companies per year. Yeah, but it mm-hmm. is a a decisive decision that differentiates us from others and that makes it easy for a founder to choose what kind of fund and people uh, ultimately you want to work with. Um, so um, I th- it's it's also about, I mean, it's still a, a, a human relationship um, a business in the end. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to devote time to these relationships. So that's not scalable, uh, even in times of AI. So it's still time you spend together uh, uh, in a room thinking stuff through, uh, talking stuff through, and you cannot scale that indefinitely. So basically, the work day or the time you devote basically limits your ability. And if you do more, that means you need to cut down on the individual pieces. And I think that's mm-hmm. a choice you want to do. Yeah, And um, I think there are many different strategies. You can mm-hmm. do indexing, uh, so investing like in every everything and, and not devoting time, or you kind of do this, uh, I would say, very um, uh, selective way of, of partnering. And I think there's no 
pro con. It's just a very different way of working. And I think it needs to resonate with, I would say, your own working style and with that of the company uh, to find a match. And I'm usually a fan of having a lot of different offers, uh, having a choice on both sides. So uh, both as an investor, but also as a founder. Yeah. So you're um, aiming for the same size fund next time? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the first one was too small, we yeah. realized, because we couldn't do proper follow-ups and also, I mean, round sizes increased. And, and what we want to do is really be able to kind of lead and co-lead rounds, uh, which usually means you do half of that round. Yeah. Um, and, and that's basically what we optimized for. Yeah? But it's not about being greedy or trying to deploy a lot of money. Uh, um, uh, it's really about, okay, what's helpful for the company, what's possible in our model to kind of uh, invest without creating an artificial pressure. So we decided to not be in a situation where we basically see, okay, we need to invest or spend money or increase round sizes just because we need to deploy money. It's really okay. Uh, what is needed for reaching next steps? Um, uh, um, and and I that's how I would say we, we think about the fund size. And yeah. of course, if the economic situation changes, you want to reevaluate that. Yeah, yeah, and you even save like almost half of the fund for the follow-ons, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's clearly where we missed out. We reserved okay. much too little. Uh, and mm -hmm. that was a learning that uh, actually there's an opportunity. And um, uh, I think it also makes a lot of sense because you invest this time in these relationships. So, um, and... Also, in the end, uh, you're de-risking, so it even makes financially makes a lot of sense to do that. Yeah. Well, now we are experiencing this kind of autumn or winter on the market, and the numbers says that the bear hunts differently in the early compared to the late latter stage, and the pre-seed runs, the early stage runs, are way less affected. I think, like, just uh, they are in the numbers of 2019 or something, like not such a drop comparing to the latter stage, where is a really, really big jump, big dive. Uh, in the numbers, does this because you uh, and three we see you do have experiences with the early stage and with the latter stage? Yeah. Does does this uh, follow your experiences? I think that is just a a, a, a conclusion of constraints uh, because in the early stages, I mean, you need a certain amount of money to get somewhere. Yeah, so uh, I mean, life has not becoming cheaper. Uh, 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 employing people is not becoming cheaper. Mm -hmm. So you need a certain amount of money to kind of reach a certain state or create a product, whatever. Um, so basically, the model is not to take majorities. So uh, in the end, basically, um, um, a cap table would define evaluation. So you, you, I mean, if you need a million uh, uh, euros to get to a certain state in the company and, and create your product, um, uh, you can't value your company with a million because then you would give away half of your company uh, uh, for that million. So I think that's kind of a constraint you just have in the early phases. So you, you um, take less ownership, even though um, that's not a fair valuation on a cash flow basis or whatever. So it, it's basically, um, I would say, getting on a journey together and, and basically figuring it out and, and having a, a division of, I would say, equity and investment um, uh, 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 to figure it out. Whereas in later stages, it's very much related to cash flows, to mm -hmm. revenue, to profitability. Um, and of course, that is correlated a lot with like interest rates and public markets. Uh, so you clearly see that change here. But on the other hand, you cannot really kind of tickle it down to the very early phases because then basically founders would need to give up 90% of the company. Yeah. And if they would do it, the whole model wouldn't work uh, because then nobody would do the next round. And what would then be the incentivation uh, for the founder? Yeah. And does it like for your team or your thesis, does it um, create a pressure on you when you see the numbers and you see the like early stage market kind of thriving or doing okay and the latter stage uh, doing badly? IPOs, like no, I mean, non-existence uh, almost. 
Yeah, I think that's going to change. I just read an article from TechCrunch that yeah. numbers are lightening up uh, already. So like multiples are increasing well, again. Well, the TechCrunch yeah. Q1 numbers were very bad yeah. when it comes to latter stage, though. So that seems to be very reason. I just read it on the way here. Oh, okay. um, so it seems to change, which which makes sense because I think money didn't disappear uh, per se. It just was invested in different kind of uh, mm-hmm. areas. So people realize, I would say, technology and with all what's going on in uh, generative AI, etc., uh, there's so much productivity increases coming from these technologies going forward, it would be stupid stopping to invest in it and not believing in that kind of, I would say, future or uh, potential beneficial outcome uh, for uh, like uh, um, the society, but also the enterprises that are driving it. So that it. might be uh, a very short winter then. I don't know. Um, it's still very differently because there's yeah. a lot of effects uh, that uh, um, are still very hard to kind of see where they go, be it like the war, of course, uh, be it like interest rates. So I'm not saying we are over it. Um, I'm just saying there was maybe an overreaction and kind of depression. And now there's a a little bit uh, more um, like um, a realization that you cannot Mm -hmm. like put everything uh, over one comb, but there's differentiation that you need to do. And also, I mean, these numbers, I have also to say, um, focus very much on on the companies that are growing fast. So, and that's something I, I see in general is you have a, a big division about uh, uh, whereas I would say the, the top half used to get easy funding. Maybe it's now only the top ten percent of company that still get that yeah. funding. Yeah. Um, so, so good companies still get funded. Yes. Yeah. They do, um, and also valuations that are kind of good uh, for the founders. But I mean, processes has become longer, more due diligence, which also is good. So I had just a conversation today uh, um, uh, with with a founder about that, uh, because actually it allows the time on both sides to kind of really see whom you embark with on a, usually a five to ten years journey. So um, you want to take a couple of weeks to decide on that, and <laughs> not not do it in three days, right? Yeah, talking <laughs> about due diligence, your self-described investment strategy is uh, quality over quantity. Yes. So on a scale of one to ten, how rigorous is a three VC due diligence process? I would say on an eight. So you can always you can always do more, I would say, and you're never finished. But there is a certain time where you just need to kind of move on. Otherwise, you're not getting to a result. And the eight is really because I'm strong. Yeah, it's high. And we do a lot of reference calls, uh, but we also encourage uh, the founders to do the same on us. Yeah. Um, And uh, they do. Yeah. Um, And um, but I think you really want to check as many like possibilities to kind of make sure that um, uh, it's actually you're buying into the team and the journey you want to really embark on. uh, And that just takes time and effort to working through getting these understanding. I mean, as an investor, you're not as deep in a topic as a founding team. So of course, and you need to get familiar with uh, the market to a certain extent, you need to understand the product offering, the differentiation, and you need to build yourself, I would say, um, an utopia about what a world would look like with that company becoming really big and successful. I mean, and, and that's an exercise I really enjoy. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why I do what I do is is really kind of dream with these founders together about what you can do. About utopia, um, not dystopia, what no, if it goes yeah. badly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, badly. I mean, you always have these two sides on technology. It can of be course. used in both ways, but um, I think you should think about this positive side and impact you want to have. And then, of course, try to f- figure out how you kind of uh, restrict the, the negative impact. But if you don't have the big picture, I mean, what's it all about? I think uh, it's usually a bad advice to do it just for money. Um, uh, I think um, uh, that kind of entrepreneurship journey requires uh, a more dedication than uh, just the incentive of, of making a quick cut. Yeah. And did it ever happen to you that the eight-ish due diligence process discouraged some startups or some co-investors? Like eight, okay, this is enough. We need to be faster. We don't want to dig that deep. Did um, did this ever happen to you? Not really. 
not that a process was ended because of that. Maybe mm -hmm. maybe because you found certain things you kind of didn't find common ground or didn't of agree course. on. Yes, yeah. uh, um, or things that you understood differently when digging uh, later. So usually I describe such a process is ideally with the digger you deep, you're getting more and more excited. Uh, and then it's a good sign on, on both sides. If that's not happening, mm -hmm. you should ask yourself, okay, why Why is not? So if the doubts increase uh, with you digging deeper, it's usually a sign that you shouldn't embark on that journey. Yeah. Uh, did um, any of startup or technology sectors were like too much for you? Were, they, were there ever sectors that you uh, didn't want to get involved in, like, uh, because it was, I don't know, too wild or too risky? I think it's usually when, as said, uh, where all the crowd is going is mm -hmm. usually a place not to be, um, uh, because there is no, I would say, specific insight that uh, you could have, or, or things getting uh, very competitive, or uh, the fear of missing out is kicking in, and that just distorts, I would say, your like gut feeling, but also kind of the rational uh, ways about how you approach things. And it's, in my experience, good to stay away from that. Uh, so when something staying is staying away from something which, which yeah, is hyped like, and bloated. Yeah, for instance, I mean. There was new banks was very attractive fintechs in general, um, uh, like uh, all this ride sharing, etc. And they're really good companies being built. But back then it was really chaotic and a lot of money going into the same topics, a lot of things also failing. And I'm not really sure if everybody kind of had the time to really get a deep enough in the understanding to see where they embark on. And and usually these are areas when then like bigger funds and bigger teams have an advantage uh, in like time and being able to deploy uh, money. So as a smaller focused fund, you you don't want to kind of um, uh, getting involved in that um, uh, kind of craze. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but how do you differentiate? Because you guys have uh, a lot or a lot, quite a many um, Web3 project, which was also a hype. Metaverse was a hype. Like, how do you how do you differentiate? What is something that is talked about? AI hype? What is something that is talked no, but about, you can but it makes invest sense? in that. Yeah. Uh, I think even if a topic is kind of uh, uh, seen as changing the future, there's still areas in the topic that nobody's mm -hmm. looking at. Yeah, like Web3 okay. is a good example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, we stayed away from, I don't know, crypto exchanges, uh, or uh, I would say a lot of these token projects, uh, but like infrastructure makes a lot of sense. Security makes a lot mm -hmm. of sense. Like analytics makes a lot of sense. Um, so kind of, I would say, developer tools in these areas uh, make a lot of sense. Uh, so there's always, I would say, uh, a different view on certain topics. Same true now with uh, generative AI. There's a lot of tooling, databases, infrastructure, a lot of topics, a um, lot of people are not really looking at. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, I wouldn't really look at like uh, large language models because for me that's done. Yeah, so I think there is yeah, a clear winners. Yeah, yeah, so it doesn't make sense to kind of invest just in another team um, uh, trying to do the same uh, in a little different twist. But of course, there are teams doing um, something very differently from a structural perspective. And that's interesting. Yeah, yeah that, that is a very <clears throat> good point, that the hype is not the topic itself, but the certain parts of it. And there's still something investable in it, even yes. though the topic is like, you know, your and, grandmother and the topics, is talking clear. about it. I mean, uh, like Web3, that's a different protocol. Yeah. It's like I. Uh, TCP IP has been for the web as a protocol change. So that creates a new uh, kind of, I would say, infrastructure protocol layers where you can build like uh, apps on. So I think that's what we are currently seeing. And I think um, maybe it's taken another five to 10 years to kind of really have that um, uh, great use cases in it. The same with GenAI. I mean, the topic is pretty old, actually. Um, uh, but you see the adoptions in like generative AI and automation where you kind of see these productivity cases uh, arranging and now being applied to specific sectors and also these kind of, I would say, now being accessible to a more general public with very easy interfaces like chat in interfaces that kind allows you to kind of get familiar with the technology, play around with it. And with that, of course, um, it it's... Um, tr tipples, trickle, uh, trickles into, I would say, our everyday life and, and work life. And I think that's the interesting phase we are with the technology at the moment. Yeah. 
You are uh, going against the wind not only in your investment strategy, uh, but uh, in your team hires as well. Um, in your team, there is Austrian, Latvian, Estonian, Cambodian, Czech, Romanian, Hungarian, and Italian. So yeah. first question is... And uh, it's not a big team. It's a team of 10. It's a team, yeah. So it's with a team, a team with, with 200, that would not be a surprise, yeah, that's, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> this needs to be yes. said, of course, yeah. as a small, a very diverse team. So my first question is, of course, who has the best taste for food? I would say the Italian. Italian, yeah. yeah. Well, not they, surprising. They are, there is a. They're really spoiled. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Well, I'm not surprised there. Um, and you were also 50-50, or are you still? Because you were 50-50 on, um, on gender as well when you were eight. Are you still. Um, yeah, we are now a little, I think, uh, one more woman one. than man. So, but on the okay. partnership, it's equal. So it's two. Female but partners to make partners, in right? And team that is um, also very not stereotypical uh, VC. Uh, what um, this diversity uh, brings to the table? What advantages does it have? Uh, as said, I mean, we are in the business of kind of identifying early signals about helping founders in terrain that has not been walked through yet. And that requires a very diverse set of uh, experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, and thinking about things. And I just believe um, different cultural backgrounds, uh, different gender, different experiences per se, allow you to kind of um, have a more broader view or different view on topics. And if you kind of are able to bring it together, and that's a reason why our team is 10 people and will never be 50 people, uh, because with that kind of complexity you introduce by cultural backgrounds, by languages, etc., cetera, uh, of course, it creates some overhead uh, and, and requires a way to, to kind of condense that to a decision or to be helpful and fruitful. Yeah? And I think that's the kind of balance uh, you need to take. But in the end, I think it allows us to do much better decisions um, because you have, you can approach a broader background of experiences and, and views. And I'm always amazed in the discussions what kind of different views come up that I would never think of. Um, and then Can you, you realize- an example? No, when I talk about a founder team, the composition and the feeling, uh, like you met them in person and then uh, I, um, I don't know, Eva, for instance, brings out a topic about what she realized in a meeting on dynamics going on between mm -hmm. the founders and the teams. And I was like, yeah, now that you say it, yes, yeah. but I, I wasn't aware of it yeah, about certain dynamics. And that's just uh, one example, but that goes all the way down. And it's also the team has very, I would say, different operational backgrounds. Uh, so from like product design to sales to um, IT, uh, uh, so kind of coding uh, myself to financial background. So it's not only, I would say, the, the kind of cultural differences, but it's also the experiences about what you did in the past and what of kind of topics we were exposed to. And all these topics, of course, in a company that wants to grow come together. So if you're just a good salesperson, yeah, that might bring you to a certain extent. If you're just a good developer, um, that might not help you really to bring a product to market. So it's, it's all these kind of things that need to fit uh, uh, together to kind of build really successful and large companies. And, and, and we are in the game of, of really like supporting and partnering with these outliers. I'm not saying um, other companies are bad. I'm just saying um, the model we are backing companies require these, I don't know, uh, like um, um, special cases of like 100xing uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, revenue of becoming really big companies. And th there's only very few, I would say, opportunities or also teams that um, have, I would say, the kind of right configuration. It's mm -hmm. also about timing, of course. Yeah. So a lot of things need to fall into place to really allow um, uh, uh, these kind of big successes that you read of. And you don't see all the other companies that kind of didn't make it or didn't go the path. Yeah. So I think that's a little bit the bubble, uh, I would say, that you have in, in venture capital and that you need also to be aware of that this is a very, I would say, specific business that is important per se, but it's not the only thing that's important and counts for a, an economy to be kind of successful. Yeah, yeah we should say that uh, at 3VC, it's not like quota forced, right? No. 
Yeah. That was really natural. We never kind of hired for uh, a quota. Mm -hmm. uh, it was really we interviewed a lot of people and then ended up uh, uh, with certain candidates. And in the end, it played out as it played out. But it was never intended by a, a, a quota. It was, of course, intended by the motivation of, I would say, a leading by example, uh, because I, I believe if you kind of foster that kind of diversity and uh, accepting like different views and backgrounds, I think doing it is the only way how you can uh, basically say, okay, others should kind of follow. Um, just saying, okay, that's what we want, uh, but actually we are uh, not diverse ourselves. I think that's that's not sufficient, and that's also not um, truthful to some extent. Yeah. And if it uh, brings so many advantages, as you mentioned, how do you explain that the rest of the VC world in the region, not just in the region, but uh, in the whole world, but let's say NCE and NDAC, it's so you know, unified. Um, oh, it's changing. It is changing. I think it, it has been a lot, but it's changing a lot. So uh, a, a lot of like female or diverse investors um, are, are active. Um, so I, I think that's changing because I think results are better. People realize that mm -hmm. actually that allows you to kind of make better uh, decisions uh, to also support companies uh, uh, in a better way. And also I would say encourage maybe people to found companies that previously would not go that path because they were not kind of part of that kind of club. Let's let's put it that way. On the other hand, I mean, these homogeneous team have the big advantage. Homogeneous, that, thank you. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the yeah. advantage is that um, you talk the same language, you go to the yeah. same kind of business schools. So you have these kind of formal, informal networks that are really, really important, especially also in a kind of area like we are in, which is not public so it's still like private it's not totally transparent so like informal and formal networks play a big role and of course that's an advantage so if if it, you're all kind of former university buddies uh, i mean you have a different way of approaching somebody and uh, you can wear the same clothes so you know yeah that too you can have a <laughs> it's cheaper for buying right you get a, a discount <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry for the insight. Um, tell me, uh, do you encourage your portfolio companies to um, to bring some diversity to their uh, team as well? Yes, uh, we encourage to measure it. Uh, mm -hmm. So not saying, yeah, you should have a quota, but you should measure it and be aware of it. And, and then basically reflect on why the numbers look as they look. So has it, there been a bias that you're not aware of? Has it been because you worked with the wrong channels, for instance, for recruiting? Um, uh, so I think it's really about first creating awareness and then basically taking the next step and seeing, okay, what's behind of it? Yeah. Um, um, But as said, you can't impose and say, hey, you, you should now have half of your team uh, should be yeah, sure. uh, female. I mean, That's not how it works, but you can say, okay, why is your team, why did you all study the same uh, kind of, I don't know, studies, uh, etc. And why do you dress the same way? <laughs> yeah, no, um, And you can lead by example, uh, which is always nice. Why do you cook the same? That's why a do good you cook idea. The same? <laughs> Because yeah. we're in the kitchen, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I have a, like a good companies that are very diverse, also by backgrounds that mm -hmm. we back, and, and they actually they brought out a cookbook where like <laughs> all of the members like created their recipe and it ended up like, I think a recipe of uh, 30 different uh, um, uh, uh, countries and uh, 30 different dishes, which I still have at home. It's a really nice kind of memory about the origins of one of these fully remote companies we were lucky to back early on. Yeah. And uh, well, being a diverse team as a startup, does it bring, you know, um, more chance uh, to get funded by 3VC? We look at it. Um, I think it's not a hard criteria, but yeah, it, sure. because it's more we want to make sure is everything there. And Talking I think, chances. Yeah, that the chances would increase because these mm -hmm, diverse okay. backgrounds would basically say that you have more ways to tap into certain networks or have the competences you need uh, for being a successful company. Uh, but I wouldn't nailed it down to gender or whatever. This is on a more general perspective, uh, I would say. Uh, we, we look at that. So I think it's, as again, it's being aware of it, understanding mm -hmm. the mechanics. And I want to understand 
how teams are hiring other team members. So what are the reasons they bring in other people? Because as a startup founder, when you grow and growth is often uh, on the team side, uh, essential, uh, it's really about, okay, whom are you getting on board and why? And, and mm -hmm. uh, I think looking at what there is uh, gives you a good impression about how, how things going to work out uh, in the future. Yeah. Your partners in the Kuche, Kuche, sorry, Kuche, right? The kitchen, Kuche, yes, kitchen, yeah. Kuche. Uh -huh. Eight years of German, well, never mind. Um, are startups, VCs, LPs. And you say that you work only with the like-minded entities. So what are the characteristics in that um, like-minded like um, that need to be aligned Are we talking sense of humor? Are we talking, you know, the same I think pressure? it's a dedication, dedication of really creating an amazing dish. Yeah. So <laughs> nice. this is like, uh, uh, like I don't know, Michelin uh, uh, star uh, uh, kitchen. So it's not about, okay, uh, a mass production or not caring. It's really about being able to deliver the best possible product. And that's, I think, what unites the different units. The Michelin really, one. Yeah, you you want to really kind of create something outstanding. Yeah, it's not you don't want to be in the mean. You want to be um, um, creating something impactful, uh, and that requires this dedication to the detail. But it also requires, I would say, that vision about what the product uh, should look like, and it requires that kind of. Uh, uh, Yes, selecting a real uh, selection on the ingredients because without the kind of right ingredients, you won't end up with a good dish. Uh, so it's it's this I would say. Peter, uh, have you craziness. prepared these hmm? idioms before, or no. are they just coming? Uh, no, I, I like from, to cook too, so that's uh, the reason. Of, yeah. <laughs> oh, like these ingredients and creating the best dish. I appreciate it so much. Like uh, this, you really didn't prepare it in, no. in advance. It's great. But I mean, in that kind of uh, elite class of cooks, uh, it's it's very similar. So they work in a very different way than you would see in a general like kitchen or, or pub or restaurant. Uh, it's just a very different mindset. I, I would say craziness. So it's always on the edge of like, like crazy about what they do and what dedication they put into a dish that's then basically eaten and passing away. Uh, uh, if you think of Noma or whatever, yeah. so these... Uh, top like uh, locations, uh, you need to be, you really need to be mission driven to kind of have that dedication uh, to create such a product uh, that is then consumed in the case of food. And and a little bit, I would say it's also in, in entrepreneurship. So you need to have this, I would say, craziness to some extent to really devote that much time and energy to create, uh, yeah. in that case, software product that will change something for, for yeah, your kind I of users. Yeah, I worked as a sous chef in like a very, very fancy okay. uh, American So you know it's better than me then. Yeah. I do know <laughs> that they are definitely crazy. <laughs> um, so do you who do you think is crazier? The top... Uh, chefs or the top startup I don't know. startup founders. When I hear sometimes stories, I think there's not so much difference. <laughs> so there's hustling, and, and there's hustling, there is yeah. uh, also I would say two burnt fingers. Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, uh, thank you for that. Uh, before you founded Free VC, you bootstrap your own company. Do you now feel like um, more sympathetic, sympathetic uh, towards bootstrap founders? Uh, I think back then there was no choice because nobody would give me money to kind of sell a product uh, as a, like a 20 something uh, year old uh, person. So I just remember how hard it was to go to kind of corporate and to kind of uh, C-level people not taking you seriously as like a, a student. And there was no funding available back then. Yeah, so the mm -hmm. only way you could do it is basically create something, sell it, and then with the money you basically uh, got, uh, kind of continue developing uh, the product. So I think um, the ecosystem was very different uh, 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 back then. Um, so it was a forced bootstrapping. Yeah, I never really had the idea of getting money into either because it was just mm -hmm. not available. You didn't have that role models uh, access. So it was basically you ask the family to kind of 
support you and basically <laughs> pay you for food and, and shelter and and uh, yeah <laughs> give me shelter yeah. but, but and now um to um uh, tackle the question one more like do you feel for the bootstrap founders like do you do you feel like more sympathy uh for them or is it is it like oh you fool get some money and some proper living I think sometimes it's the only way to start something yeah. uh, up. Um, uh, sometimes you just don't have that access to this early uh, money. I think it's getting better. Uh, I, I wouldn't go in the one or other direction. I've mm-hmm. met amazing companies that both bootstrapped or or basically started with a, a, a certain funding. Um, there is up and downs on both sides. So on the bootstrap, it's often to kind of switching from that bootstrapped mode in a more expansion driven mode. So kind of feeling comfortable in in spending more money than you kind of would earn back. Um, uh, whereas on the other hand, uh, uh, if you not bootstrapping, uh, you might need to focus more on, okay, what's my profitability or my way to profitability. So it's it's usually a little different mindset um, uh, in, in where you come from. But I, I wouldn't say the one is better suited than mm-hmm. the other. Uh, Uh, you are now um, investment partner and founder, and but yet your background is IT. Yes. So do you consider yourself to be a more uh, business guy or tech guy? I studied both a combination, actually, <laughs> of business and IT. So I think and that's uh, what helped me. Uh, no, I mean, now it's much more on the business side, to be mm-hmm. honest. Uh, uh, so I think early on, it was much more on the coding side, mm-hmm. which fascinated it, but with kind of leading people, getting more into these managerial, managerial roles, um, uh, the coding part like gets less and less important. It's still important, I would say, in a conceptual way, and I still can read into, but it's n- not really that I do active coding anymore. Yeah. Um, so on the other hand, it, it helps you understand certain concepts and where things come on and to kind of better con- connect with, I would say, the common language uh, you have to kind of figure out if certain stuff would work, or you also understand, I would say the boundaries better about mm-hmm. what does it mean at scale? Um, uh, what are the things you might kind of issues you run into? Yeah, but it's um, hard to keep up with all the changes, right? In no, it's impossible. You need to talk it? with subject matter yeah. experts. Uh, yeah. You cannot, but even like when I was active, you can't have an overview or depth. Uh, you can have the general concepts. Uh, and then you need to basically find and talk to the right people. Uh, Because this is a um, issue with sometimes this might be an issue with um, with investor with tech uh, background because they understand when you present the project uh, they think sometimes that they can understand it all, which might cause some troubles. Yeah, you shouldn't believe that you're better than the founders. That's yeah. a very bad idea. I mean, that's why you back these founders because you believe they are experts in what they are doing. Yeah. Uh, so I think um, I'm, I'm very aware of uh, that I have very little knowledge on the specific topics. Um, uh, and um, I think that's okay. Yeah. And my most important question comes last. Uh, you have the opportunity to solve multi-generational and multinational beef. So who has a better beer, uh, Czech Republic or Germany? Czech Republic. <laughs> well, uh, you will uh, welcome. I hope back nobody anytime. from Germany is hearing the podcast, right? <laughs> no, no, no. They will hate me for that. <laughs> thank you, Peter Lassinger. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for coming by. You're now with your answer. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you. And uh, hope to see you soon. Bye. Thanks. Bye.